All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea. Hosea. Uh, you'll find that toward the end of your Old Testament. It's one of those obscure minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And if you get past Malachi, forget it. Hosea, the book of Hosea. Right after the book of Daniel. Right after the book of Daniel. All right, Hosea. Hosea chapter 4, and Hosea chapter 4 and verse 5. Oh, I'm sorry. Hosea chapter 4, verse 15. I thought, who changed that verse in my Bible? Hosea chapter 4 and verse 15. Though thou, Israel, play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend, and come not ye unto Gilgal, neither go ye up to Bethaven, nor swear, the Lord liveth. Now, now, Israel was in the midst of her idolatry, and uh, on one hand, she would come and worship the Lord, but then go worship idols. And look what the Lord says about Israel in verse 16. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now, the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. I want to talk to you this morning for a little bit on the subject of backsliding backsliding. Father, guide us and direct us in our thoughts now and uh, help us to uh, discern where we stand and uh, understand where we're at with you and what progress we're making or perhaps not making. And uh, Father, if there's something to be remedied, help us to appropriate those means that you've given to us. Father, we thank you that no matter what our condition, uh, it's, it's never a hopeless situation because of your marvelous grace and the power of your word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. The idea here is a heifer walking up a grade, a hill, and the ground is slippery. And this heifer is making progress in the wrong direction. And he says, Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now, let me, uh, let me be clear about something here this morning because sometimes terms get, get mishmashed together. Uh, when I'm talking about backsliding, I'm not talking about the almost daily ebb and flow of our Christian experience. Um, I, I, I don't want you to think that because you, you, know, you read 10 chapters of Bible a day and yesterday you hit nine and didn't make it to 10, that you are suddenly backslidden. Uh, backslidden is much more than that as we will see. So um, if you find, after looking at the Word of God, that you think you're backslidden, well, then by all means, deal with it on that basis. But uh, if not, uh, let's understand what we're talking about. Another one that often gets uh, muddled is this idea of hypocrisy. And a lot of times people confuse inconsistency with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, is I know I'm not right, I know I'm not doing right, but I'm going to pretend like I am. I'm going to fake it. I, I am going to use the things of God uh, for my own agenda, for my own purposes, and, and I'm going to be a phony about the whole thing. It's, it's intentional. It's willful. That, that's hypocrisy. Inconsistency, inconsistent is what all of us are from time to time. 
We have every good intention to do something, and because of our frailty, we, we sometimes fail. Uh, those are two different things, so don't get those confounded. But uh, the Lord talks here about Israel being a, a backsliding heifer. Uh, keep your hand here, please, if you would, and go to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, and this term is used again in Proverbs chapter 14. And Proverbs chapter 14, verse 14 The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Isn't that interesting? You know, if you look at your life, some of your more miserable times in life were those times where you were self centered, you were self focused. Isn't it interesting that modern psychology, Christian or secular, tends to build the self-life, which tends to promote the maximum amount of, of misery. But he says, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied, look at the next word, from himself. See the contrast there? You, when you're walking with God, you're far less centered on yourself. You're, you're satisfied from yourself. And when you're backslidden, you are filled with your own ways. Now, we're not talking this morning about the difference between saved and lost. If you know Christ is your personal Savior this morning, you can't lose your salvation. It's not yours to lose. Now, historically, the Armenians would say, well, yes, you can lose it, and, 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 um, and, and there's that, that position that they take. Um, the Calvinists, you know, the more I've studied Calvinism, the more I've come to the conclusion that a Calvinist has less assurance of salvation than an Armenian does. Uh, an, an Armenian might be able to say, well, I had salvation, but I lost it. But I guess he has hope of getting it back. Never been quite clear on how they intend to get it back. But a Calvinist never knows if he has it. Because of the doctrine of perseverance of the saint. It's the last letter in TULIP. Perseverance of the saints. I mean, they can't ever say, I know I am saved for sure. Because they haven't gotten to the end of their life. Folks, I'm here to tell you that the Bible teaches neither of those two things in the New Testament. The Bible teaches us when we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, salvation is of the Lord. And Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So we're not talking about losing our salvation. But we are talking about getting off track. Getting away from God. Ceasing to walk with the Lord even though we're indeed saved. Let's take a look at the first thing. And the first thing is the knowledge of backsliding. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and Paul gives us an exhortation to this end in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So the apostle Paul is in pursuit in his relationship with the Lord. And he says in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, 
But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is walking with the Lord. He's pursuing. He's making forward progress. And his mark or his target is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're told in, in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He says in verse 15, let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So he's talking about this progression. And then look what he says in verse 16. He says, nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained the progress we've made, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. In so many words, in verse 16, Paul is saying, don't go back to where you came from. Continue. Continue. And so we're asked to examine ourselves. We're asked to understand if we're in that position of backsliding, losing ground. And again, it's different from somebody that's just brand new saved as opposed to somebody that's been saved a long time. Somebody brand new saved, their progress may not look like much to someone that's over here, but if they're heading in the right direction, that's okay. That's okay. We've had baptisms where people got so excited giving their testimony, they cussed. <laughs> You said, who would do that? A babe in Christ. A babe in Christ. But, but he's headed in the right direction. It's okay, amen? Now, for someone that's been saved a long time and they've reached a certain point in their Christian life and they start going the other direction, that's what we call backsliding. I often thought of, of the Christian life as an airplane. You take a car, you take a train, you take a ship. If it stops forward progress, it can still be all right. But an airplane has got to continue to have that momentum, doesn't it? It's got to have that continual momentum to stay in the air, to continue to fly that forward motion. And, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Paul uses the analogy in light of the current, at the time when he was writing in 52 AD, they were called the Ithsminian Games, I-T-H-S. They were the precursor to the Olympics, and, and, and they, were, they were being held right near Corinth there, and the Apostle Paul alludes to this race. Imagine a runner turning around and going backward, the opposite direction, or just stopping. Years ago, they had one of these marathons. I believe it was the Boston Marathon. And this gal, her last name was Ruiz. And, and she snuck in on the last two miles. And then crossed the finish line and claimed that she won. And, and she was actually successful for a couple days until they started checking on the checkpoints and things of this nature, and they found out that she was fraudulent in this thing. Paul said, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, 
But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Why did I quote that verse for you? Because this is not a competition with other believers. I'm asking you this morning to just look at your own progress. Am I going forward? Is the plane still in the air? Am I still going forward or have I started to recede and go backward from where I was at one time? What are some of the warning signals? Some of them are, are internal. A lot of it starts in the heart, folks. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The prodigal son's trip to the far country, he just didn't wake up one morning and decide to do this. It was in his heart for a long time. He had been planning this for a long time. One of the first things we quit doing is we quit striving to grow. We quit striving for the masteries. Paul says, so run that you may obtain. We lose that edge. I remember years ago, for a couple of years, when I was serious about golf. I don't know what happened to me, but I got serious about golf for a couple of years. I remember reading books, taking lessons, practicing and all that. And trying to get my score down. And uh, now if I go, it's all about the fellowship. And I just get out there and swing the club. Okay? You, you might say I'm a backslidden golfer. <laughs> Paul says, the Lord Jesus Christ said of the church at Ephesus, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Leaving our first love is, is certainly an inward thing. And what starts to happen when that happens is we start just going through the motions. We lose the drive. We lose the enthusiasm, and we no longer have the momentum. We may be standing on the track, but we don't have the momentum. Those of you that have participated in contact sports know how important momentum is. If two guys collide on the football field or two guys collide in a hockey rink, whoever has the most momentum may be the one that comes out on top. Do you understand this morning that you're going to collide with the devil sooner or later? You're going to collide with the world sooner or later. You're going to collide with some sort of temptation that appeals to your flesh sooner or later. Be sure to have some momentum. Charles Haddon Spurgeon talked of the inward signals of being backslid. He said when you grow bolder with sin or with temptations to sin, then you were in a more watchful state. He said, when you make a small matter of those sins and infirmities which once seemed grievous to you, when you settle down to a course of religion that gives you but little labor, when your God and Savior grows a little strange to you, and your religion consists of conversing with men and their books and not with God and his book, when you delight more in hearing and talking than in secret prayer and the word of God, when you regard too much the eye of man and too little the eye of God. When you grow hot and eager about some disputed point or in forwarding the interests of some party of Christians more than about those matters which concern the great cause of Christ. He said when you grow harsh and bitter towards those who differ from you instead of feeling tenderly toward all those who love Christ. When you make light of preparing for the Lord's day and the Lord's table and think more of outward ordinances than you do of heart work. When the hopes of heaven and the love of God do not interest you, but you are thirsting after some other worldly enjoyment 
and grow more eager for it. We can lose the enjoyment of our fellowship with God without losing perception. It can become mechanical. A number of years ago, an ardent and dedicated Christian wrote a tract entitled, Come to Jesus. It became famous and influenced many for the Lord Jesus Christ. Later, he became engaged in a theological dispute with another brother. In reply to a publication by an opponent, he wrote an article bristling with criticism, sharp and cutting as a razor. Looking for a title, he asked his friend, what should I call this article? His friend suggested this, call it Go to the Devil by the author of Come to Jesus. I know more than once over the years I've had a let a, a letter sit that I wrote in reply to someone in their criticism. And I'm glad I let it sit. And I ended up rewriting it. And then I let it sit a little longer. And I ended up rewriting it again. I remember one, I rewrote it three times. And then I didn't send it. And I'm glad I didn't. There are those outward signals. Attitudes begin to manifest themselves. Thanklessness. Com a complaining spirit. Now, probably nobody here has ever had that. But, but it usually manifests itself first in the family. I preached a message to you about a year and a half ago, and it was directed to the men. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, quit you like men. The name of the message was how to know you're acting like a baby. The first thing was you don't hold up your piece of the sky. The second thing is you don't respond well to disappointments. The third thing is you get easily offended. The fourth thing is you start quitting. The fifth thing is lots of whining. By now, the gals were really liking this. The sixth thing was when your wife tells you you're acting like a baby. <laughs> and usually that's where it first manifests in the family. The outward manifestations. And you know what happens when we really get backslidden and we begin to turn against God and the things of God and the house of God and the people of God? There's something about misery loving company. We try to drag someone in with us. You ever notice how murmuring and complaining is not unlike thankfulness in that it tends to spread? If I get around somebody who's very genuinely thankful, I like to spend time with them. I like to hang around them because I want that to rub off on me. But boy, when I get around somebody that has that bitter, griping, murmuring, complaining spirit, I need to watch out because I can catch that. I can catch that. I remember a number of years ago when we lived in Pennsylvania, we were about 70, 80 miles east of Pittsburgh. And back in those days, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the professional hockey team, was kind of a laughing stock. They had a stadium that would hold about 20,000 people, and normally they'd draw about four or 5,000. So once in a while, we'd pick up a couple tickets in the nosebleed section, and it was festival seating. You'd get in, and you could sit almost on the player's bench. And so we'd go to a game occasionally. Well, one game was the, the uh, Edmonton Oilers came into town during Wayne Gretzky's days. And they filled that place up. And I remember we were indeed sitting in the nosebleed section and the place was packed. When the Pittsburgh Penguins came onto the ice, they were all looking up into the stands like, what are all those people doing there? 
And it was a pretty exciting game. It turned out Edmonton won 10 to 8. Typical for them in those days. No defense, but lots of offense. And, and Wendy's, Wendy's had a deal where if you had a ticket stub and the Penguins scored six goals, you'd get free chili. <laughs> so, so the Penguins were down like eight to five, but the place started chanting chili. <laughs> so my wife and I are standing there with our ticket stubs going, chili, chili. Now, I don't eat Wendy's chili, but I mean, you know, I'm not going to be a spoil sport. And what was funny is sitting in the row right in front of us, just catty corner, were two kids that looked like they were on a date. And I mean, through that whole game, whether, whether our team scored a goal or everybody was chanting chili, they were both just doing this. I, I, I couldn't understand. I thought, why in the world would you buy a ticket to a game if you're going to be miserable through the whole thing? Now, I don't know if they had something going on between them or someone made them go to the game and they didn't want to go. But you know what? As Christians, that can start to happen to us if we're not careful. If we're not careful. Then the drop-off process starts. You know what's the first thing that goes? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. We'll we'll quit giving. Uh, We'll avoid God's people. Then we'll start missing services. Whereas we may have come to most services at one time, now we seldom come. The dropping off process starts. And and we have excuses, not real reasons. Here's the typical one. Somebody offended me. Somebody offended me. Somebody ever offend you? Somebody ever offend you? I like what Brother Summerdorf said. He said, why don't we consider just not taking offense? Do you ever stop and think, if, if somebody offends you, and by the way, I, I'm not going to say I was always like this as a preacher, but, but the Bible does say a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. When I really meditated on that verse, I realized as a preacher, just because I'm behind a pulpit, I shouldn't go out of my way to offend somebody just to offend them. That's not mine to do. And if I do it, I'm in the flesh just like the next guy. Now, I realize the word of God can offend people. I realize that. But did you ever stop and think that if someone offends us, we don't have to take offense? We don't have to take it. Boy, that goes contrary to the spirit of the age, doesn't it? We live in this day and age, especially in social media. You know, somebody, somebody pings you with something offensive. Man, you got to go after them and, and, and get, all of your, you know, get all your so-called friends to jump in too. I mean, let's, let's not let it go. Let's have World War III. You know what that's a sign of, folks? Especially for a believer, that's a sign of self-centeredness. And, and, and I like what he said. We don't have to take offense. Doesn't the Bible say in Psalm 119, great peace of they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. You know, someone says, well, you, you know what they said about me? I guarantee whatever they said about you, whoever it was, in or out of the church, it's not as bad as who you know you are. 
That's what the verse means. Great peace have they which love thy law. I love God's thrice holy law. Consequently, I know what a dirty, rotten, low down, lower than a snake's belly, saved sinner that I am. And whatever so-and-so said about me doesn't even come close to what I know about me in light of God's law. Great peace of they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The knowledge of backsliding. Uh, number two, the misery of backsliding. Let's go back to Proverbs chapter 14. And let's take another look at that verse. I, I hope this morning we're not going, yeah, I'm really glad preacher preaches this because old so-and-so needs to get this. Let me see, how's he taking this? You know. Let's examine ourselves, amen? Proverbs 14, verse 14, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. The misery of backsliding is I, me, my mind being full of myself. The old man, the old man trying to satisfy my own selfishness. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The eyes of man are never satisfied. And so we get filled with our own ways. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I, I've seen men and women in the, name of a in the name of a midlife crisis, I'm talking about believers, throw away their testimony, throw away their career, throw away their family. And get backslidden. You know what happens when we get backslidden? We get as empty as a lost man. You know, you can, without losing your salvation, you can lose your assurance. You can lose the witness of the Spirit and the witness of the Word. Folks, stop and think about it this morning. There's a reason you left Egypt to start with. There's a reason you got saved. There's a reason you left this old world behind. There's a reason you turned your back on the ways of the devil. Robert Robinson, author of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, <coughs> lost the happy communion with the Savior that he had once enjoyed. In his declining years, he wandered into the byways of sin. As a result, he became deeply troubled in spirit. Hoping to relieve his mind, he decided to travel. In the course of his journeys, he became acquainted with a young woman on spiritual matters. And so she asked him what he thought of a hymn that she had just been reading. Wouldn't you know it, to his astonishment, he found it to be none other than his own composition. He tried to evade her question, but she continued to press him for a response. Suddenly he began to weep with tears streaming down his cheeks. He said, I am the man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And he said, I'd give anything to experience again the joy that I knew then. Although greatly surprised, she reassured him that the streams of mercy mentioned in his song still flowed. Mr. Robinson was deeply touched. Turning his wandering heart to the Lord, he was restored to full fellowship. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. 
But God is faithful, not suffering to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that she may be able to bear it. I often think of Ruth in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, when, or, um, or excuse me, Naomi, when Naomi comes back to Bethlehem after, after, after going to Moab, and when she comes back and they said, is, is this Naomi, which means pleasantness, by the way, and she says, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, which meant bitterness. And here's an interesting thing she said, and, and, and I think it perfectly fits when we look at this as a typology of someone backsliding and going into the far country. She said, I went away full, and now I'm returning what? Empty. Well, then Naomi, why did you go away? Why did you go away? You know what she was at that point in her life? She was fuller than she thought. She was fuller than she thought. Is it possible this morning your heart is looking toward the far country? You're yearning for the far country. The old life has sort of developed this little, this little afterglow, this little halo that the past can sometimes shine on it. And you don't realize just how full you are now how much you really do have to lose if you get off track. I often think of that in regard to her. At this point, they're blaming everyone else for their misery. A lot of times, they start a pity party for themselves. I often think of Saul over there in 1 Samuel chapter 23. And he's throwing javelins at David. David's right with God, and he's trying, to, he's trying to kill David. And anybody that would give him any inside word on David or, or an opportunity to, to pin David to the wall with this javelin, he would, say, he would say, blessed be ye, ye have had compassion on me. This man was full of himself. He was having a pity party. And the greatest misery of being backslidden is we know better. Is we know better. We know the joy of fellowship with God, even when we no longer have it. We can remember. The old shepherd who offered a prayer in a Welsh revival meeting put it exactly right when he lamented his backslidings in these words, quote, Lord, I got among the thorns and briars and was scratched and torn and bleeding. But Lord, it is only fair to say that it was not on thy ground I had wandered out of thy pasture. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. There's something else we need to understand about backsliding, that there's a certain ingratitude to it. There is a certain ingratitude to backsliding. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 5, the Lord trying to reason with Israel. He says in verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity... Have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? Do you know, we might make excuse that some Christian let us down. We might make excuse that the church let us down. We might make excuse that it's because the preacher or a deacon or someone else let us down or some Christian friend. But let's be honest this morning, what has God done wrong to us? He tries to reason with Israel. He said, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? 
that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain. Let's be honest about it this morning. All backsliding is against God. All backsliding is against God. You know, people will backslide, go back into the world, and they'll put up with all sorts of offense and stay with it. And when someone asks them, how come you're not in church anymore? How come you don't read your Bible? How come, how come you don't profess to be a Christian anymore? They'll say, well, there were too many hypocrites in the church. Isn't that hypocritical to go back into the world and tolerate all the abuse that you'll take there? And then say, I got away from God because of the abuse I took among God's people. There's a certain ingratitude toward it. I think of just being saved alone. The very fact that God would save me and give me eternal life should, should cause me to be grateful for the rest of my life. He provides for us. He, he allows his mercy and grace to guide us and direct us along the way. And let's, let's just be honest this morning. He doesn't pay us back in every bit of our sinful currency. He chastens us in love. But it's because he puts us back on track. He's so good to us this morning. And you want to know something else? God's people can be stinkers. I, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. And by the way, when I say that, I are one of them. Okay? But you know what? I believe God's crowd's the best crowd. I, I, I believe it's the best group. And can we learn from the lessons of others in their backsliding? I think of David. I, I often think of the title of a message a man preached one time, The High Cost of Low Living. And there was David, and you say, well, his backsliding was his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. No, his backsliding started way before that. It was a time when kings went to war, but he stayed home. He stayed home. He wasn't doing what kings do. And he said, Joab, you take care of it. I got other things to do. You say, what were those other things? Getting on the rooftop and looking at naked women washing? Come on. Yeah, that, that's the sweet psalmist of Israel. That is the man after God's own heart. But that's the potential of the flesh. And he ended up seeing what he was looking for, and the rest is history. Can we learn from this this morning? Can we learn from our own bad experiences getting away from God, even in the least. People said, I'm not in church because I had a bad experience in church. Well, how about you're not in a bar anymore because you had a bad experience in a bar? How about I, I, I don't do drugs anymore because I had a bad experience on the way to the hospital after a drug overdose? How about that one? How about this one? I had, I, I'm back in fellowship with God today because I had a bad experience out of fellowship with God. Amen. How about a little bit of that rationalization? There's a certain ingratitude to backsliding. And then lastly, turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. Let's look at the cure to backsliding. Let's look at the cure. The Lord's reasoning with Israel, and he says in verse 22, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 22, look what he says. Return, ye backsliding children. 
Return, ye backsliding children. You know what the devil will tell you when you get away from God? It's no use. God doesn't want you anymore. He'll tell you the same thing when you're backslidden as a believer that he told you before you got saved when he said, you can't be saved. God doesn't want you. John Wesley said, God will take those that the devil is tired of. That the devil discards. And you know what? If you've gotten away from God, doesn't matter how far you've gone, God will take you back. God will take you back. He says in verse 22, return ye backsliding children. And look what he says. I will heal your backslidings. I will heal them. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Verse 23, truly in vain is salvation, hope from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. God says return. Return. But you know, before we can return, we have to admit where we're at. I think of, I think of David's terrible sin, and I think of his wonderful repentance in Psalm chapter 51, where he says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David came clean about his sin. Some of you here this morning, you're still walking with God, but you got a backslider in your ear. And you know what that backslider is telling you? It's the church's fault that I'm this way. It's the preacher's fault that I'm this way. It's the deacon's fault that I'm this way. It's all those hypocrites in that church that I'm this way. It's your fault that I'm this way. Hey, quit listening to that stuff. I don't care if it's your grandmother saying it. They're just still full of themselves. They haven't come to this place yet where David said, it's me, Lord. I did this. I'm not right with you. And boy, when you're willing to do that with God, God will do business with you. And he came to a place of real repentance And in spite of the things that he did, God was able to restore him. You know what you do when you've made a mess according to to Psalm chapter 51? If we took the time this morning and just broke that whole chapter down, here's four things that you find when you've made a mess like David made a mess. Number one, you appropriate some realism. And that's what David did. He just said, hey, I'm it. I did it. I did it. I made this mess. Number two, he appropriated some repentance. Number three, he appropriated some remembrance. He remembered God's grace. He said, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Doesn't 1 John 1, 9 say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. That's God's promise. And you know what? It's just as true today in your life as it was five minutes after you got saved. And it appropriates some resiliency. Get back up on your feet. Walk with the Lord again. You know what I find if I start getting cold toward God and even getting the least bit backslidden? Just break the routine. Find some sort of catalyst. Do something that 
out of the ordinary that'll draw you toward God, not away from God. You know, some people get the silly idea. Well, I'll just quit going to church. Yeah, that'll help. Yeah, I'll just quit reading my King James Bible. That's kind of legalistic. Yeah, that'll really help. Yeah. How about spend a half an hour in prayer? How about spend an hour in prayer? How about spending a couple hours in the Bible? How about grab a fistful of gospel tracts and look for somebody to witness to? How about go street preaching with somebody? How about offer an apology to somebody that you beat up pretty bad? And I don't mean this kind of beat up. I mean someone you have a quarrel with, another believer, and you've just dug in. And you got that. You know, I often think the worst thing that Lot ever did was to fall out with Abraham. Do you see what happened to Lot and his family? You know what's the worst thing that ever happened to him? He parted company with a good man. Would have done Lot a lot of good to have apologized to Abraham and got back together with him. Get some help. Get some help. I think of the prodigal coming back. Coming back. And quit sitting around in your pity party saying, God's people don't care. They do. They do. And listen, I've been at this almost 50 years. I'm going to tell you why God's people sometimes give up on a backslider. Because they reach out to him and they get bit. And they reach out and they get bit again. They reach out and they get bit again. You know, you reach out to him. Hey, I haven't seen you in church for a while. I miss you, bro. What are you, the Holy Spirit? Okay, back off. Okay, then you back off. Then a month later, he goes, nobody cares. I mean, the ambivalence can get astounding. Hey, maybe it's possible you made this bed. And that's why you've been sleeping in it. Reach out. Reach out. God's people do care. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to let the bus roll down the hill. It's another thing to get the bus back up the hill. And it's going to be compound low. And grinding it out slow. But turn the bus around and start going back up the hill again. And you know what will happen? The father will be waiting with a fatted calf, a ring, and a robe. The Bible talks about rejoicing in that famous story of the prodigal son coming back to the father. We're told to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was talking to a man here about a month ago. That was about two months ago. And the guy that's moved away, just lives in another state, another part of the country. And he's gotten away from the Lord, but I do appreciate his honesty. I appreciate that much. He calls me once in a while. He had a prayer request for me a couple months ago. I said, how you doing, bro? He said, oh, not bad for a Christian that's been blowing weed and drinking. Well, I'll give him much, that much credit. At least he's admitting that what he's doing is wrong. And I said, bro, you know you can come back to the Lord. He goes, I know. I know. He said, I'm just medicating. I said, all right, brother, I'm praying for you. He goes, I appreciate it, preacher. He said, I'll call you again. You know what? God wants him to come back. God wants him to come back. And if you're away from the Lord this morning, God wants you to come back. You know what I believe in? I believe 
in regard to these matters, make mountains out of your molehills. I mean, just, I mean, if you're getting just the least bit slowing down, the least bit cold, the least bit off track, then just, just deal with it severely and get it taken care of. You know what? When I'm playing goalie, when I'm playing goalie and our team gets a lead, say we're, in it, we're winning four to one, you know what I start thinking to myself? If they don't get number two, then they'll never get to four. And if they get that second goal, I say, well, if they, ne- if they never get three, they're never getting to four. You know what? Let's think of our Christian life that way, amen? Let's, let's not say to ourselves, hey, how close to the line between right and wrong can I play here? How about if we say, how close to God can I get? Is it possible to get into that inner circle with Peter, James, and John? And by the way, it is. Jesus has got plenty of room in that inner circle for you and for me if we want to be there this morning. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your warnings and your word about the problem of backsliding. Help us, God. Help us with David in Psalm 51 just to come clean about our sins, be transparent with you, and rely upon your mercy and upon your grace. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that takes away all of our sins. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. All of it. We don't have to do Baptist penance. You take care of the whole thing. Father, perhaps this morning, some know of someone who is backslidden. Father, may they take the time this morning to come and to pray for them and to love them and to pray for the opportunity to assure them that God still wants them back in the fold. Help us this morning, Lord. It's a wonderful thing when someone gets saved, but it seems like it's an equally wonderful thing, Lord, when somebody who's been away from you comes back to you. Lord, give us a burden for those that have gotten away from you. Help us be an example. Help us not to be pulled into the vortex of their pity party, but to stand and remind them of your grace. And Lord... They might be coming back thinking that they're Mara. But help them to remember, Lord, that by your grace, they're Naomi. And they can come back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's remain with our heads bowed and our eyes closed in just a moment. We're going to sing, Come Thou Fount. God spoke to you this morning. You need to come, come. The altar's open. But I can guarantee you just about every one of us here this morning knows somebody that used to walk with God, that used to come to church, that's away from God, that's away from church, that's back in their old ways again. Would you take some time this morning and pray for them? Would you come? Would you get down on your knees? Would you shed a tear or two for them? Because God can bring them back. God can bring the backslider back. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 553, Come thou found. If God spoke to you this morning, come. If you got somebody you need to pray for, come. Don't wait till later. 
Don't wait till later. It will escape you. Come now. Pray for them. Ask God to help them as we sing. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart. Father, bless all these that came to pray. Father, some perhaps for themselves and many for others. Lord, I, I think of the, the man that I referenced this morning, and you know who he is. And Lord, he's, he's a dear brother. He's as saved as any one of us here in this building. Father, some things have happened to him in life. He got severely disappointed and uh, just got back into the world. He knows it. He knows it. And he's not happy about it. And Father, I pray that, that at this moment you'd speak hope into his heart that he could come back to you, Lord. And you'd have the fatted calf and the ring and the best robe waiting for him if he would but just come clean about these things and, and, and just repent and say, Father, I've sinned and I did wrong and, and, and I want to be back. I want to be back with you. God, just pray that you'd do that. And for many others that were prayed for this morning and any others that may come to our hearts and minds the remainder of this day, that we might lift them up to you. We might make mention of them in prayer, as the Apostle Paul said many times in the New Testament. I made mention of thee in my prayers. And, uh, Father, that, that we might stand in the gap and intercede for them. Thank you for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for David's great psalm of repentance in Psalm 51. Father, help us to stay close with you, Lord. Help us not to give up that second goal, because if we don't, we'll never get to that fourth one. And that's the way it needs to stay, Father. And we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's matchless name. Amen. Amen.